0: Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, welcome. I am so glad you're here doing this life thing with me. As I mentioned last week, July 9th will mark one year since I dropped my very first episode with Eva Longoria. It's really cool to see how far I've come, how far the show has come. Hopefully you hear it in the interviews. I think I get a little better every time. 1% better, right? That's all we can do. (laughs) So whether this is your first time or your 37th time, I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for being a part of this journey. So this week we veer a little bit away from the path of producers Dan never thought he'd start a nonprofit. It was never part of his original game plan. He was a journalist and his work led him to the juvenile system of LA, which is basically jail for those under the age of 18. He saw that these children, these kids, have never been given an opportunity to dream, to hustle, to see what other paths could exist for them. So he decided to change that. He didn't know much about the entertainment industry, much less nonprofits, but he realized that if you hustle in production, you can get a leg up in the business. This became the genesis for what now is Manifest Works, an incredible immersive program that connects those impacted by foster care, homelessness, and incarceration with job opportunities and entertainment. I've been fortunate enough to volunteer with the program for about two years. I've attended a few of the classes. I've spoken to the students, helped them learn networking skills, explained to them what an indie film producer does. I love that this program exists. And while Dan is not a producer, he advocates for producers, since they, we, are the ones with hiring power. So this week, I wanted to shine a light on him, the program, and one of the ways we can lift up people from all walks of life by showing them that their dreams in Hollywood can become a reality. Without further ado, let's dig in and hear from Dan. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so grateful that you said yes. I know this is a little bit of a detour from traditionally I have producers on the show, but honestly, with everything that's been going on in our world, I've really sort of pivoted for myself how i can be a part of amplifying the black lives matter movement and how in our own small ways we can be a part of this conversation and so it was obviously i've been a part of manifest works for a while now but i just felt like i've been wanting to talk to you forever anyway because we never get to properly have like a real conversation at the events but just to hear your story who you are and all the things so so please take it away
1: yeah and just to say before we um get into things too much. Producers are are the the heroes, I guess, of Manifest Works in so many ways because they are the people that ultimately decide who who is on their crew yeah. and the people that they work with. And mm-hmm. and really it is um, our relationship with producers and then their friends, producer friends who kind of come around and really are the people that are able to make an immediate and profound change on careers because they're the ones yeah. who open the doors. They're the ones who pass along names and resumes and they're the ones who get to champion their crews and to act as mentors to the people they they work on. And I think it's such an important thing as we look at the way and the shape and the makeup of what production is like in Hollywood. Um, you know, I, I ultimately think that producers not As much studios, not as much big organizations are going to be the ones that really, really make a lasting impact on people. So that's a really um, confusing thing to start with if you don't know who I am or what I do. So maybe I can. (laughs) I think um, it's perfect.
0: Price for producers, yes. (laughs) I guess I'll start by
1: saying I never thought I was going to create a nonprofit. That was not part of my original game plan. Um, This has been a convoluted, labyrinthine way of getting here. I guess the, the way to start is that I was a journalist 25, 30 years ago, <laughs> briefly in Northern California. And um, when I moved to LA, I worked at an ad agency and I I had briefly worked as a, a Flack, a spokesperson for the mayor in San Francisco on a project. And um, when I moved to LA, I got a job in public affairs advertising. So I started creating advertising for not product, but more like movements, issues, things like that. Not, not my politics too, like conservative things. Mm. things I did not really know what I was getting myself into. So after about a year, I was like, Oh boy, um, this isn't the right thing. And then maybe a little bit later than that, we got bought by, I don't know, it was Omnicom the one of the giant companies. And um, we had a chance of taking a teeny tiny payout, which I did. And I saw a posting for a job teaching journalism at a juvenile hall. oh, you know, I was a journalist and I was a teacher. I, I could do that. I've never been inside of a jail before. And I went and I interviewed some journalist. and totally comfortable in that space and kind of excited to think about doing it in, for kids. Uh, didn't really know what a juvenile hall was, which in L.A. County, it's, uh, it's a jail for children. Um, there are many of them, and there. And at that point, there were many children who were incarcerated. Probably about four thousand five hundred kids were incarcerated in e- each day. Um, I lucked out the first time, time I got there. I, you know, it was kind of an audition. They kind of put me up to see how I did with the thirty-five guys who came to the newspaper class that day. And I don't know how many of them were ultimately that interested in newspapers, but the other volunteers brought donuts or bagels and, you know, it was a chance to not be in the in the dorms or the cells or wherever they were being kept. Um, and I got the job. And like I said, it was a really fortunate experience for me because right off the bat, I met some amazing kids, some amazing young men. And I was just completely interested in hearing their stories. You know, my privilege had been that I'd never been inside of a jail before. I didn't know anybody um, who had ever spent any more than a couple of days in jail, mm. and I was pretty shocked at what i what I encountered the number of kids who were there because the foster care system had failed them, so in those days, occasionally, if you were not cooperative as a foster kid or the court the the dependency court didn't have a place for you, they could incarcerate you if you ran away from your foster home, you could be arrested and put into uh delinquency facility which is what this was which i just thought like god you know it's bad enough that you, for some circumstances your parents can't care for you you don't have you know what everyone deserves which is somebody fighting for you um in a safe place in a safe community with resources and you end up being incarcerated because of it and there were not opportunities here this is not a place where you were going to go and get your life back on track and maybe find resources to help you rehabilitate as it were. There were massive amounts of fights and drugs and it was a profoundly unsafe place. And I can only imagine the anxiety that must've caused. But anyway, I, I got, I got into it. Like I really started thinking about these kids and, and the circumstances they had and the kind of profound sense of unfairness that they faced in their life. And I wanted to champion them as best as I could. Um, It's like, an impossible thing not to get emotional about as I remember um, because so many of those kids have, you know, gone to prison and been shot and killed and are dead um, and are not with us anymore. And these are people that I've been close to. Yeah. So I I did that for a long time uh, and probably about a year after I started the newspaper, I was like, this newspaper isn't for them. It's, it's for the funders. It's for other people. It's for a product. And they're not really getting to control and to make it, the way I would want them to, like, this is more me than them, more what the output is. And so I thought, let's change it up. And I changed it to a book club and that was fun. But we realized that one guy was reading, doing all the reading and making all the comments and everybody else was there for the donuts. <laughs> and I, and I, it just occurred to me, like, what this was about was like a failure of imagination, a failure of opportunity. People, you know, they talked about what they wanted to be and they wanted to be cops and they wanted to be parole officers. And I thought that was totally fine. But it really, to me, showed how limited um, the opportunities they had, how how few chances they had to meet and to talk to people who had any kind of job, you know, whether it was like a lawyer, a producer, a writer, whatever. They just did not get a chance to meet people who 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 kind of saw the world as a place for them to express themselves potentially. And it, it, you know, I kind of developed this very simplistic way of thinking about it when I was there, which is that if you're a kid who has a really solid set of parents, and you live in a very tough neighborhood, you can get through it. And if you're a kid who has a really unstable home life, but you live in a well-to-do community, you can also get through it. You're going to see your friends' parents, you're going to know what the opportunities are out there. But if you're a kid who Doesn't have a stable family life and doesn't um, live in a in a safe community. It's it's impossible, and and that's why you just see like a profound disproportionate nature of incarceration among brown and black kids, but specifically among poor people. And it's not you know of all races. It's poor people who end up in jail. Yeah, you know. So I'm doing this for now ten years. I'm like, what is happening? The 15 year old kids are now 25. They're cycling in and out of prison. I'm going to visit them in the Central Valley. You know, to just to say hi. To you know cheer him up. And I'm like, something has got to change. And I was like, you know, what, what do you do? You have a criminal background now. You can't get a job, yeah. right? The system has failed you from childhood. And some of the charges that people have, they're felony convictions, but they're ridiculous felony convictions. Like, yes, you had a chain with you as you were walking around your neighborhood after dark because everybody else had a gun and a knife, you know what I mean? And you got arrested. And so you're, Anyway. And I was like, what? What? where is hustle? Where's hustle? going to work for you where's some kind of street smart and savvy going to actually turn into a job and and where's a job that you could actually do where you don't where having a criminal background is not an issue yeah where it's really about your potential and not about your past and i thought about construction and i thought about you know restaurants culinary but i didn't really see those as being pathways to living wage jobs and i also didn't really see them as being a place where you could kind of use your totality and, like, this is all based on this guy that I met the very first day. His name was Raul. And he, he was a very smart, very charismatic, lovely, lovely person who'd been, you know, in section eight housing or homeless or in foster care. And when, <clears throat> when he had problems at home and the cops came because he was fighting with his brothers, you know, delinquency. Um, and I was like, he, he could out-hustle everybody on set. He's going to be hungry. He's not going to have any ego about a job being too small. And so I have asked somebody, can you put him on a set as a PA? And they did. And of course he out hustled everybody. Of course he outperformed everybody. He didn't know how to get the next job. He didn't know how to network. He didn't really know how to handle himself at the wrap party, which they probably don't (laughs) do those anymore. They do
0: sometimes.
1: (laughs) You know, he's a, he's a 19 year old or 22 year old kid. Like in a candy shop, basically. Yeah. Um, And the only brown kid there. So it it wasn't, it didn't all go well. And and I thought like, God, how did I set him up? Like, what did I put him forward for that he wasn't able to succeed? And what would it have taken to have prepared him? And and that's really like the Genesis story of Manifest Works. Like, what is it going to take my feeling was, and this has kind of been borne out, is that people learn by doing. They learn on set. No matter what film school you go to, you're not going to know how to be a production coordinator or a supervisor. You're not going to know how to be a good PA. And in some ways, you're going to be a bad PA because you're going to have an expectation that you should be by the camera, calling the shots, directing the movies. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. And yeah, oh yeah.
1: we had something that nobody else did in spades. We had humility mm. and hustle and hard work. It was like a very simple idea. And I'm not, you know, it's not the we're not the only ones who have it. There are other programs like that. But we really focus on people coming out of delinquency, out of foster care. And then we later added homelessness to that because we had so many people coming from homelessness. And those were just not places where people were welcome in other programs that say maybe serve minorities or, or what have you. Mm. It took nothing. Like we started partnering with one or two production companies, uh, an advertising agency. And the next thing that happened is people would get a must hire day on a set and they would have two or three jobs that they would get through us. And they would never look back. Like they never needed us to get another job because they would show up and they would be so awesome and so hardworking and everyone would love them. And it just exploded. There are some people who never even made it as far as getting a must hire job on set because they met somebody in class, you know, people like you who come in and volunteer and they brought brought them on to set and, you know, they never were able to make another class. They were so busy working. Yeah. And that's what Manifest Work started out to be. We changed it up a little bit last year by adding a caseworker and some counselors with the idea being that we were, we are just getting like phenomenal success. Like the average salary of somebody coming to manifest works is under $250 a week. And the average salary a year after they enter the program, not a year after they finish, but a year after they enter the program is about 1200 bucks a week. So it is a profound change and people are making 50, 60, $70,000 pretty quickly wow. and then moving up, you know, getting union jobs. And we have a decent number of people who are making it, you know, $150,000 a year. These are people who had no access to employment before and now they can provide for themselves and their family and even parts of their community, which has been awesome.
0: That's it's so incredible. I mean, I'm curious, you know, after the first experience where you were like, "Hmm, how do we set how do we set up this program for success and have the people that come through it come out on the other side, equipped with the tools they need to, to navigate this so it's not a one and done, right? So will you speak a little bit to the structure of the program and how you've you created that because as a producer who's been working for a decade, I dare say that you guys train people better than anywhere I've been, you know, uh, these people are showing up on set, fully prepared, sometimes knowing more stuff than I do. (laughs) I'm like, wait, what? That's what the walkie channels mean? Like, (laughs) you know, Um, and I think you guys have taken such care and attention to detail and really thinking through all of the things that are going to help them, but are also going to help the people they are serving when they go into a set. So it it really is two sided, you know, and I I I think that that is the ultimate success of what you guys have created. So to speak to how you were able to find that.
1: Well, one of, you know, one of the points you just made is really interesting. Like it, it, it served both, right? It, that's, yeah. that's really where, um, where people are. You can ask somebody for help when you are helping them. You can ask somebody to support you when you are making a difference in their career. And that's something we have emphasized. Look. In the beginning, we had one production company and I had the parents in my daughter's kindergarten class. So one was a production designer. One was a head of production ad agency. One was a movie star. I mean, it was like, that's what I leaned on, but we didn't have a structure. You know what I mean? I was just like, when you can come, come. Mm -hmm. So we had a DP one week and then six weeks later we had like the production designer, when in some ways, those guys should be on the same day, you know, those two people should be on the same right. day. So <laughs> in the beginning, it was a little, um, we've always, always benefited from the the contributions of the mentors and the participants. I, I don't work in this business. I don't work in Hollywood. I don't know my way around it. And so in the beginning, it, it lacked a little bit of structure. But as things have gone on, we've had people who are, who work at production companies, who are producers, who've really, really taken an active role, and they're like, you know, if, if you really want to teach um, expense reports, maybe you should have a, a production supervisor teach it because they're the ones who have to go through the expense reports. Mm-hmm. Just little things like that, that of course, were no brainers that we didn't know about. Yeah. But now we always think about it as, here's a chance for you to train the people that will be working for you. What do you want them to know? How do you want them to fill out this paperwork? How do you want them to do these things? Um, we had Matty Boutique come in and talk about being a director of photography. He's coming for a very important thing to talk about how he was a PA and how he went from being a PA to being, you know, a two-time Oscar-nominated director of photography, cinematographer. So the structure of the class is we follow, you know, the arc of production. We start at the beginning either an ad agency or, you know, a producer with an idea, but typically an ad agency, we learn what a client is. We learn what the, the agency is. So, you know, in Video Village where the agency and the, and the client are, and then we go to a production company and we learn about how they prepare bids and how they represent directors and the way it all works and how they even hire PAs, you know, where they PAs fit in. The next week, we try to go to a expendables house like Quixote, where we'll start class at six in the morning. And for Manifest Works, our requirement is always that you're there 30 minutes early, because that's a great way of making a good impression. So we're out there 530 in the morning, saying with a timer and a checklist. And the truth is, we're not trying to be jerks about it. But if people can't show up to our class on time, you can't ask a production company to hire them, because it will just undermine their own chance of success. You know, we're never giving up on it, people, but we're just saying, you're not ready, apply again, come back in six months, you know exactly what you're gonna be asked to do then, and we ask people to do it. So we we follow the arc of production, you know, through soundstage, um, editorial, music, visual effects, The goal, like I said, around Maddie or somebody in visual effects is not to get people to be visual effects artists. It's for our people who have not had exposure or not had opportunities to have some sense of what's going on, to have some sense of where the different jobs are, what the different jobs would be, so that when they start working, they can have a fantasy. It's so important that 90% of our guests start as PAs and people understand, oh, my God, this is my potential too i can do this and it's it's a kind of a genius thing look the, the foster care system and the juvenile delinquency system and even the jail system in california and especially in la is not good it's it's a horrible yeah. institution kind of befitting the fact that la is the largest county in the united states but it's also a miracle that while all of that horrible institutionalization is happening we also have hollywood which is really really unique in the world in terms of being a merit based and it's not just a merit-based, but a merit-based job where people who are good yeah. can be explosive potentially in their careers.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think you nailed it. One of the classes I was lucky enough to attend before right before things shut down <laughs> uh, was was a networking class, you know, and At I 72
1: Sony, right? Yeah. And I just yeah.
0: thought it was so incredible because we we all struggle with that right? And I I think there's this idea of like, maybe taking for granted how easy it is to socialize for some people, how easy it is to say hello, and know how to carry a conversation and the right questions to ask. You know, I I produced a documentary years back on adults with autism. And it was so fascinating to me that it felt kind of similar, you know, where these sort of social cues and these things that we just know inherently, a lot of people have to be taught that. And it's a tremendous skill set, it's hard to navigate. And so, but to watch them show up with the best attitude and still try and, and make mistakes and learn from their mistakes is is just so honestly like it, it makes you a better human. It makes you better at what you do to constantly be around people who are willing to put themselves out there and willing to grow and take those risks. And I mean, I I'm such a huge fan of what you guys are doing because you cannot be what you don't see, right? But how can you even see this stuff when the only things you do see often are like the five main roles, you know, an actor, a producer, a director. And even that is like, what is a producer? What does a producer do? And within every one of these departments, there's a slew of opportunities. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Production is, it's like the gypsies of, of the industry, you know, the people that gravitate towards it come from all walks of life. And I think in that sense, it is one of the most inclusive, diverse workplaces that I've ever been a part of. And everybody wants to be a part of it. Everybody wants to be somehow connected to the magic that is making movies and telling stories because it is magical. You know, it is a privilege that we get to be a storyteller. There's a tremendous responsibility that we have with the stories we choose to tell because they matter, you know, they they shape perspectives, they help you see what you too can become through those stories. Mm -hmm. You know, the hard skills, all of that stuff can be taught, but teaching someone how to be a good, decent human and carry themselves with integrity and compassion... If I had a pill for that, I would have already bottled it up, you know what I mean, and sold it because that's truly the hardest part. And so Mm -hmm. I think to show people who go through the program and anyone really that this is accessible to you and it isn't magic, even though it feels magical, it's just showing up, having a good disposition, putting in the work. And being aware of what's going on, you know, and part of my MO is is similar to what you guys do. And through this podcast of informing people about the different career paths that exist, you know, if I can be a part of shaping that conversation and helping move that needle, then my gosh, like what a what a life worth living. I think, you know, I
1: think one point you made that uh, just to circle back on one because it kind of points to something we do, but it's also so important. It's about access. Yeah. Look, so when we're when we're in that ad agency, and that was a pretty cool spot with like an interior amphitheater and a basketball court and all these other super dope things that you see at at really prestigious ad agencies. Again, lots of people have never been in a space like that. And yeah. to walk in there is very disconcerting. Like, we don't waste a lot of time getting people over it. We throw people in. Yeah. You, know, you, you may have had the experience, you had good conversations, but I will tell you when, when we are asking our participants who are significantly people of color, but they are all people who have been impacted by access, when we're asking them to go up and start talking to a stranger who looks very different from their, what they're used to, that is a challenge. Yeah. Like, it's a behavioral strategy that we use. And guess what? Two weeks later, when somebody walks in, everybody walks up to them like, Hi, I'm Dan. I'm interested in being a PA. What do you do? And they already are starting to learn that networking thing because it is a social game and it's really, really important. And I think, you know, when we talk about, um, especially now, and I'm so grateful for the attention that's coming um, our way, although it's in the very unfortunate, context of protests over police brutality, you know, it it really is about access. And so there have, there has been efforts to address um, kind of the lack of, of color, the lack of diversity on sets for a while. And I think it's really changing right now, which is really great. The truth of the matter is people who are impacted by generational poverty don't see themselves, don't see their stories in in a real and meaningful way. I mean, you can count on your hands the number of films that really, truly understand in in a way that is human. The circumstances that many people live in in the United States, their entire lives, their children's lives, their grandparents' lives, whatever. You know, I think having access not just to minorities, but also to people who've been really, really shut out of opportunities, how we will tell a better and a richer story about who we are as a country and, and who our products are designed to reach and what our narratives are. And honestly, that's how we come in my mind to, to some kind of story about what America is that actually is real and really reflects our history, both ups and downs. And it's not going to happen unless we bring all of those people into the conversation.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the only way we do it. We have to represent the way our country actually looks in every facet of it, in every every part that we're in, you know, through the stories you tell, through how our sets look, and it shouldn't be a diversity mandate.
1: I think it's going to be a diversity mandate until the sets are normal.
0: Well, I mean, I think, sure, let's make it a diversity mandate then. But I, I sometimes feel frustrated that so much of this diversity and inclusion just feels like buzzwords and a lot of PR. But but really, how are how is this actually happening? You know, when I was at Sundance earlier this year, so many conversations about this inclusion and women and stories and diversity. And I'm like, guys, this is amazing. I love these conversations. But having them at Sundance drinking champagne isn't like, how do we make this change? It's like, what are you actually doing about this out right. there? Because this is cool to remind ourselves, but where is the action on the streets? And maybe that is happening. I can't be there to see it. But I just don't want it to just become a sexy conversation that we all have so we can sound woke when it, it's it's the day-to-day. It's the micro, the tiny ways that we can impact and be ripples towards this massive wave of change and how we choose to show up and who we choose to hire and who we choose to give access to. Because you're right, like barrier of entry is the hardest part.
1: If you think about it, like how do people become content yeah. producers? Well, people become content producers by, you know, working in the mailroom at an agency. And that's how they go into development jobs. You know, a person who's impacted by poverty cannot afford to work in a mailroom. And the people in the mailroom are people who have, you know, you always hear the stories of people who have law degrees from Harvard who work in the mailroom. Well, right, you know, they're going to be fighting for something oh, for $12 an hour that a participant of Manifest Works is just not, they're going to be like, I'm not, you know, my chance of making success here is mm-hmm. so small and it's so hard. And also like, really, they're going to know based on their background, what the thread count sheets they're supposed to be buying for their, their agent bosses. No, of course not. They're not raised in that world. Um, and, and they're not, they're not going to succeed. So we really have to think about, you know, barriers to entry in profound yeah. ways. Thank God for production, because I think that's the one pathway that does really provide something equitable. But, um, you know, I was I was going to tell you a story that was cool. Like, so I, I'm just a hustler, right? I always am pushing for people to get opportunities and get jobs. And anytime I know somebody who's somewhere, I'm always like, hey, what do you think about bringing somebody on? So I have a friend who works on The Morning Show and I was, The, the Apple Show, and I was like, hey, what do you think about you know some PAS, and it's it's always a challenging thing. Are you going to tell the AD who to hire? But um, without giving anything away, because one thing we don't do at Manifest Works is we don't we don't identify our alumni. We we let them make that own mm. choice because we don't want people to be branded as having been impacted by foster care, incarceration, or homelessness because it's no one's business. I was like really pushing for a position, and then I found out that two other. People had been hired in, in much more senior positions um, in through union jobs that they had. And I was just like, because it's always the case. People are like, I don't know. I mean, I, I like what you do. I feel really strongly about it. But I don't really understand what this means. Like when you're talking about incarceration, are these serious crimes? And I'm like, yeah, they can be. And, and a lot of people had the same hesitation that I did. What is that like? What are we talking about? Um, and I think there's a humanization that has to happen around that. So like diversity is one thing, but there's a whole nother conversation around system involvement and poverty. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I've I've had this many times. I was at a very, very important production company once, and they're asking the same question. I love the mission. I think this sounds really good, but I, I don't know if we can do this, you know, for the crimes and what have you. And I was like, I promise you, there have been people from Manifest Works who have been on your sets before. They just were hired by the crews. And I'm looking up of my eye and I see two office PAs who are both alumni and I'm not going to out them I want to so badly because I just want to be like look you you already work with us you just don't know it but it's not my story to tell and I don't want them to have to tell that story but I've seen that happen again and again and again
0: but also there's a lot of people with criminal backgrounds I have heard some stories about people after the fact you know who worked at work at very reputable companies that you just can't believe and it's like Why is that okay over there, but because we're calling it out and we're lifting up people who we know have been impacted by this, it's all of a sudden cause for concern when they walk amongst us, you know, all of the time.
1: I had a great experience. And again, I have to tell the story to protect everyone's identity. So the head of production, executive producer at a production company in LA was at a class because she participates in an organization pretty heavily. And a friend of hers who she had had dinner with on Wednesday, you know, because they're neighbors and he works in the business in a union job that she would know. You know, he was in speaking and he was like, yeah, I did 25 years in San Quentin. And he's like, you didn't know that, did you? And, uh, you know, it's just like, it's like a, you just get tears in your eyes because she had no idea. You know, she had no no uh, no knowledge that his life had been so difficult and so impacted. And yet, <clears throat> you know, he had just made so much of his life and was so successful. And it was such a inspiring thing. And I think like, we are so lucky to have people like that come in and share their stories with class. And we have to do it in a way that protects them, of course, too, because while they're willing to share that story with us, they may not be willing to share that story with their crews or everybody else. And that's totally their opinion, because there's still so much prejudice, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I it's the shame, right, that that people feel and not being able to reveal their true selves, because you're right, it's been stigmatized, there is prejudice. But I hope that through this movement that we're in, there can be less judgment, more compassion. I, I saw this video on on Instagram of this woman where she was just, just full of joy. And she's just, you know, this black woman, and she's like, in this time, think about what are you quick to do? You know, are you quick to judge? Or are you quick to love? Because being quick to love is a lot harder. Quick to judge is like, everybody wants to do that. Because then that says, I'm right, you're wrong. Right? You know, but to actually have compassion and you don't know somebody's story, you don't know what they've been through to to our you know black brothers and sisters that are coming up and have systemically been oppressed by the system. And we are hopefully trying to look within and do the work to change it from the inside out, because it isn't just laws and policies and government. I think that's all important, but I think it starts first in your heart. And then with your immediate communities, because truly, when you think about it, that's the only impact any of us can truly have.
1: Right. I think that I think that if, if people start, you know, as we're looking at justice or police brutality videos and you see the way that it disproportionately affects minorities, well, guess what? Those people also get arrested and charged with things disproportionately, too. And mm-hmm. and there are people who are guilty of crimes There are people who are guilty of horrific crimes. Um, and people always ask me, well, how do you decide to let somebody? And I'm like, look, if if they have done their time, if the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation has decided to release somebody on parole, they are having to thread a much finer needle than I will ever be able to judge. Like, right. getting out on parole is impossible. It's impossible to do. And so the people that do it have gone back again and again and again and they've had to deal with the restitution, they've to deal with guilt, they've had to deal with all of these things. Our job is, like you said, we're just going to love them because they haven't had that in 20 years, 30 years, or whatever. And we're going to give them opportunities they never had. And also, like, how many of those people ever had a shot? Yeah. It's another thing that we always talk about. And we A couple of years ago, we were doing this video that's on our website, and um, we had this pretty fancy creative director. And he was talking about, you know, like, I really like the idea of talking about second chances. And our room was like silent. Funny someone just raised their hand and said, you know, I was six when I lost my parents. I was six when I was in foster care. I was twelve when I was arrested as being in a gang. Like don't tell me about second chance. I never had a shot. And it was like it's like so powerful to realize we don't look at that case because, you know, he gets charged with something as a 14 old, these charges an adult, and we don't look at them as a kid, a very, very damaged, traumatized kid. And I think it's really important to remember the humanity that we have, in spite of some of the really, really desperate and horrible situations that, that have created loss. I mean, there's no question about it, yeah. that have really created loss. I, I meant to I mentioned this before, you know, we, we added, um, in last year, we added Mm -hmm. caseworkers and counselors for the first time. And part of it is just like we have so much success. We always want to make sure that our participants are moving forward and that when things trigger or things come up or the trauma comes back, we want to make sure that they don't go backwards. And so that's part of the reason why we have gone from just like an entry-level job to being an entry-level job and mid-career support and kind of lifelong scaffolding to keep all of our people on track because the statistics for people who've been homeless or who've been in foster care or who've been incarcerated are horrible. And we want to keep everybody growing and moving up and, you know, buying houses, sending their kids to private school, whatever it is that they want to do. um, We want that to be the path that they have.
0: That's the only way it requires the community to help support and uplift these people. When I was at one of the protests here in LA at in front of city hall you know, this one guy spoke and he was like, look, I I was in prison. I was a dumb kid. He's a Latino kid. He's like, I made poor choices and I paid my price. But he's like, I didn't come out of jail and become a better person because of the jail system or because of what happened in there. It was coming out and having my community support me and love me and and help me become the man i am today and and he was saying that to everybody it's like we are all here to help each other and to me that's so much of what the movement is about you know is is really caring remembering to care for one another all the time and and i know that's can be very uh, a political statement i guess i i have a different heart for it all because i i did immigrate here when i was 9 years old i didn't have a choice but i'm grateful that my parents made that sacrifice but i didn't learn English you know until I was nine years old and I was always behind and I just had the privilege of being a person who appears white and sort of fit in even though I was like an alien weird kid with no teeth when I moved who didn't speak the language but I also have no memory of my life at that time so I still don't know the traumas that I faced. and so I think back on like wow if that was my experience and that's probably like three to four percent of what everyone else who is less fortunate to not have, you know, white skin or whatever goes through then I can't even begin to imagine. So I just feel so connected to, to this cause. And it really, for me was a jolt, like a jolt of, I have already always been a proponent for all of these things because of my, my path and my journey and the, the, the way that I've been able to, to, to create my career out of nothing. You know, I didn't come here with contacts. I didn't work at an agency. I just kind of worked my way up through the trenches. Like everything I've, I have, I really feel grateful that I earned, but I also had people help me along the way. I didn't get there on my own. Nobody does.
1: Something you said really um, moved me. Um, And I think it's, I think it's a, a really interesting thing for you and your job and your producer friends you know, we kind of talked about the idea of access before and stories. And, you know, I've been so struck, and I don't want to get political, so I'll keep this very, very superficial. But there's this this kind of notion that patriotic (laughs) Americans have one story, and people who don't tell that story are not patriots. And I was like, you know, it's just, it's this divisiveness that we have in our country right now that makes it very challenging. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the truth is, there is a history of genocide and there's a history of enslavement and and that's absolute impression. That is a part of our story. And, you know, we don't have to just tell the story that I learned in my school, which was, you know, rah, rah to these great people who did all these right things and we're an exceptional country and we're unique in the world. You know, maybe, maybe our story is a different story. Maybe our story is about the fact that we are, we have unique things in our past but we also have deeply flawed moments and and what makes us special and what unites us is how we will tackle those moments and how we will challenge ourselves to view things that that few countries have ever had to deal with quite the same way we do and it just it just makes me think that as the people who control the stories and get the stories made how producers can really be a part of changing that because that's a strong story too. And if we start to tell that story, then you as a child of immigrants can see your story in this country, just as a person who's been, you know, an indigenous American person who has really been swept aside or, or or an African-American or black person who has experienced oppression in every core of their self from every moment that they have been in North America. Like maybe there's a way to tell a story that actually can, unite us and help us address our, our challenges and 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 use our strengths to kind of move through this. That, that is a lot of responsibility I'm putting on you, Carolina.
0: Yeah. Got it. Done. <laughs> yeah. No worries. I, I, I look, it's a it's I welcome the challenge. You know, I think that this is the moment, like you said, to rise up and really with with the the people who do have hiring power who can change the conversation, who can change the narrative, who can set the tone on a set, who can really you know, be sort of the driving force for a lot of this, I I think that is a responsibility that needs to be taken seriously. I really do. And I think to me, like someone said this recently, and I've been repeating it, because I'm obsessed with it, but that, you know, being a storyteller and being a filmmaker is the ultimate act of community service because we're giving back to our communities with who we choose to hire. We're giving back to the world with the stories we choose to tell. Um, And this is the time. And I think independent producers, especially because my my background is mostly independent filmmaking, more than ever are sort of, I I think, going to really be able to have their voices heard, because in light of Black Lives Matter, but especially with COVID, like You know, independent producers are thrifty and they know how to hustle, they know how to make things happen with like two sticks and a guy. So like we we can thrive in an environment where we have to pivot and be creative to still make production happen in this world where we now have to have extra precautions for the safety of everybody involved. So who better to um, creatively problem-solve all of these sort of challenges than I think the producers and the independent film community and everybody in between. And so it's it's a privilege and an honor to get to be in this industry and to get to do this job and to get to, like, use what I have created for myself to help lift others up. And that's my commitment in my life. And if I can find success and that's the legacy I leave behind, then...
1: Yeah, people who, who who watch this and listen to this later need to remember that we've been stuck in our homes for three and a half months right now. And so not only are we dealing with that world, but also like the insanity on our, our homes. Yeah. I, you know, the other part of it is is just like we, we have to make sure that all the changes that are happening on set in production also get reflected in in the content creators, in the in the people who make the content too, because if in fact that pathway does not also provide for yeah. different types of people to share their stories. Um, we're going to be limited to the people who, who could, for example, work in the mailroom at CAA because they have parents supporting them. And and that is a different group than what we are. And and so the, the, the change has to be all across.
0: I can tell you there are movements happening. I can tell you that people who have power and believe in this movement, believe in this change and want this to be the new normal for our country, for our industry, are diligently working behind the scenes to craft how we can reimagine this industry and create this opportunity so that the people that are the gatekeepers of what content gets made at the very top echelon of the industry aren't just white men right you know, and I have a lot of hope and i'm I think the the kids that are coming up behind me are just. Powerful, and it 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 just I guess it just gives me so much hope. And in the darkness of all of this, I just really have to remember that I choose. I choose to believe in that. I choose to believe that we're working towards a better world. Yeah. Um, but I do want to ask you. You know, doing this work must be really difficult. I can't imagine the the stories you've heard, the things you've seen. Yet you still show up every day, and keep pushing forward. So what, what is it that fills your well? How do you find the, the strength and the courage, frankly, you know, to keep doing such incredibly challenging, demanding work to show up for yourself?
1: It's easy. It's easy. And I'll tell you why. The, the thing is, like, it is, it's like going to church every day. Like, the people that we serve, the people who's, who's, who we are serving are so inspiring. The hardest part of the job to me is that now, like it's not a one-person show. I have a lot of responsibilities on fundraising and making money, and so I'm doing a lot more of that than I am working with individual people. Um, but if I'm in the classroom, if I get to be around people, if I get to see what they're doing, I'm just like I'm so blessed to be able to watch people yeah. like blossom like this. You know, like you're talking about people who who profoundly change everything in their life, their worldview, everything in 12 weeks. Like you're I'm still watching a miracle it is so, is so profoundly rewarding. <laughs> that part of it, the service part of it is, is easy and lovely. You know, it's also raw too. You know, sometimes you just, you just have to develop a trust and sometimes you have to almost force the trust on people so people don't know who you are they don't believe you they don't understand why you're doing it is this a little too good to be true you know who is that old white guy there <laughs> and yeah uh, yeah don't trust me whatever I'll, I'll prove to you the value of what we're talking about and that's going to happen and i love that like i'm so, i'm so grateful for people to 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 get opportunity i, I don't I don't want people to be alumni of manifest works. I want them to have good lives. Like they don't have to come back. They don't have to speak. The number of our alumni who donate to our program is astonishing. Like people who have traditionally probably had very limited traditions of philanthropy become regular donors and speak up and participate and, and are there, you know, you saw the event, you were there, there are two speakers were alumni who just graduated. They could not have recognized themselves six months before they were so different already than who they were when they walked in the door like i mean that's like i'm i feel like i have the best job in the world actually
0: (laughs) i think you do i i think i'm i just think you're awesome and the program is incredible and you know committed to supporting you guys in all the ways that i can i i'm just so grateful to know you guys you know
1: well carolina thank you for um thank you for giving us this platform and sharing us with your friends so that people can can hear more about us because we all we are still tiny and kind of under the radar and and we're always looking for people who really understand what we are and what we do and kind of joining with us because in a sense every one of the participants who comes to our program needs needs shoulders of other people to stand on or lean against or or to mentor them and um, we're we're always grateful for for you and all of your friends and listeners.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, you know how for the people listening uh, who are in the business, you know I have all kinds of listeners. Some people who are just starting out and looking for their path, and some who are kind of seeped on a path and looking for guidance and community. But um, for those who are listening who do want to support what you guys are doing, what is the best way for them to do that right now? I think
1: it depends on what tools they have. So the the number one thing that I always ask for, you know, people always like think I should be asking for money. And I do, but the thing I really want is jobs. You know, it's that first chance at a job. And so if you're ever in a position to hire crew, yeah, info at manifestworks.org, just shoot me that email and I'll give you really good people really quickly. Yeah. And of course, people who who are inspired, you know, we we love donations because we we thrive on them and that's how we do what we do but we also take people to volunteer in our classes and the same thing you know people know what they can contribute we're we're happy to have people there you know we need we need people to show up every single saturday because it's conversations that you have with industry professionals that help you learn how to talk to industry professionals yeah so all that stuff
0: I love that I love that are there any other ways that we can continue to be held accountable as non-BIPOCs, and continue to do our part in light of this movement? I mean,
1: you know, there are other people you can talk to. I might be able to connect you with some. I don't know that I'm the one to say. Um, I, I get I get a lot of feedback. I have a very, very dynamic community of alumni who have a lot to say, and I, I just try and listen and learn from them. Um, and, and they might be better people to, to speak on that issue. I would just say that you know, as much as I know, and I don't know anything, but as much as I know, it's been because I've been privileged to be a part of a community that I didn't have access to before. And I've been able to listen and able to see and witness. And I think that's where you learn and that's where your 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 fears can be dissolved and turn into love. And that's how yeah. all the changes happen. And I think, you know, my my general view is like, there's a lot of information out there. Maybe so much that's exhausting. Yeah. Don't, punish, don't punish yourself for feeling exhausted, but... But listen, you know, we we have we have a lot to learn, I think, right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you don't give yourself enough credit. I think that your perspectives and your thoughts on this matter are massively important and definitely will reach people that you may not know need to hear it from you, particularly, you know. So I'm grateful to you for going there with me and, and, and indulging me in all of my, my questions in this conversation. Well, I'm going to add one thing then. I'm going to add one thing. As we are thinking
1: about our conversation about race, I, I wanted to be not just about race, but I also wanted to be about poverty. Because I think although m- many people of color are also impacted by poverty, there is a difference between people who have been impacted by generational poverty than 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 people who are just of different races. And I think that as we look to diversify, we should make sure that that diversification includes people who don't go to college, people who haven't had access to college, people who haven't had access to those resources or they're a very important part of this conversation as well. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks for letting me make that plug. Of
0: course. No, thank you, Dan.
1: My goodness. Thank you.
0: And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me week after week. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, review, wherever it is you get your podcast. Tell a friend, tag a friend, and hit me up on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. And I'll see you next week. Beijos.